be joined up here today by the rest of the pastoral team and uh, the elders, if they would come up and find a lovely chair. And we have we have a special place for Pete to sit today. Pete's going to be sitting behind the desk here. Um, he kind of reminds me of the guy on Deal or No Deal, who sits up in the booth with a little head thing on. He's going to get to answer all the hard questions today. Don't ask any hard questions today. Uh, today is something unusual for us to do as as a service, and that is for us to have what we call once a year our annual family business meeting. And it is, uh, as Matt said, it really is a review of the mission that we are on together and where we are in that mission and what God has for us and how we need to sort of be owning that together uh, in order to accomplish what God set before us. Um, If you are here today as a visitor and you didn't raise your hand earlier, I've got a sweeter deal for you than before. If you're visiting today and you thought, I want to come check out the church and just see what they're about, and uh, you, you'll kind of get a different view of us today through this meeting than you would through just a normal service. So as a means of us saying, hey, thanks for being here, you're welcome to stay, but if you'd like to maybe come back a different time, that would be okay, too. We actually have some gift cards for you to go have lunch on us at Zia's. So if you are... Okay. <laughs> okay. Those of you who have been members for 20 or more years, this does not apply to you. Uh, <laughs> uh, so if you are a guest here, this is your first time coming today. Uh, if you hold your hand up, we actually will give you a gift. Even if you want to hang around, you're welcome to go eat afterwards on us as a gift. Our appreciation for you being here but not being able to bless you with a full service. Everybody? All right. Good enough. Well, this morning uh, we have a unique family business meeting format uh, because actually it's going to run and cover two days. It will begin today and it will conclude tomorrow because due to our limited facilities, we just don't have the ability to have all of us together in a convenient meeting time as we have in the past. Normally we would do a meeting like this uh, late in the afternoon or in the evening on a Sunday night or uh, some other time of the week, but we just don't have a facility that we can do that in. So uh, the meeting will actually take place this morning, and then all the folks who meet with us on Sunday mornings will meet on Sunday mornings, and they will all hear this again together tomorrow. Uh, A little bit different agenda for us. Normally we we take, I don't know, probably 20 minutes or so just to call roll, what we need to do this morning, we're not going to call roll this morning because part of the people who are part of the church are here tomorrow. So calling roll and taking an immediate quorum isn't an issue for us now. It will be tomorrow as we review, and by faith we're trusting that enough of the members actually will have shown up for these two meetings. What we need you to do, though, to find out whether we do have a quorum is we need you to sign up on a list that's being passed around. Where are those sign-up clipboards are going to come around? What we need you to do with that is each person needs to print their name, and if you'd sign next to it, uh, that would be the best thing. There's a space for you just to print your name and then sign next to it. Please don't sign Mr. and Mrs. Keith Collins. Each person needs to be identified individually so that we can correctly take roll. Please don't print your wife or husband's name or anybody else that you know. If they're not here, then you can't fill it in for them. Okay, everybody clear on that? You would help us greatly because you know, we understand not everybody here is, is a member. And a lot of folks 
A lot of folks know that and a lot of folks don't know that because of the way we do membership around here. Uh, everybody here is a part of the family. But membership has a process to it that you end up going through uh, a class and we familiarize you with the vision and the mission of the church and the doctrine of the church. Uh, you're part of a covenant group. You sign a little blue card, turn that into us, and then you actually become a member. If that's not a process that you've gone through, then, then technically, even though you're part of the family, you're not a member yet. Uh, you would help us. You can still sign on that. That's fine. But if, if you are a member, you know you're a member. You've been one of those people we've called your name on a roll before. Uh, if you would put a little M next to your name, that will help us do some homework today and tomorrow to tally up our membership list more effectively. So is all that completely confusing? Print, sign, put an M next to your name if you're a member. Everybody cool? All right. Let me uh, take just a moment to introduce, I know as the church has grown and we have new folks that have been added to the church who, who sometimes take for granted that everybody knows who everybody is, and I know that's not the case. So I'm just going to take a moment here and introduce the folks that are here on the platform. Uh, you guys will be most familiar with the, the pastoral team, Mr. Matt Mason, back in the back, wave Matt, everybody knows who you guys are, Jeff here in the front, Peter Davidson, uh, Pete who handles our administration, and myself. Uh, Bill Treby, some of you may not know Bill, and Steve Roberts next to Bill, and Phil Widener, who have served us for many, many years as part of the leadership team uh, serving as elders since the dawn of time, I think. Um, uh, in addition, we have, we have added a number of, of part-time staff and, and full-time staff folks who serve the church uh, as, as part of the staff uh, of the church. Uh, I'm not sure all of them are in this meeting or not, but Eric Schmaltz, would Eric be in here? Here's Eric Schmaltz. Eric, who's kind of a utility guy, does a little bit of everything, administration, publications, all of our uh, website elements and any video production that we do, uh, leading worship, meeting with folks, caring for them. He does a little bit of it all. Uh, Lindsay Jobert, is Lindsay in here? Lindsay Jobert. Lindsay is our secretary extraordinaire. She has been a wonderful blessing. We are very grateful to have her part of the team. Uh, we've added some part-time support. I don't know if Evan May is here this morning. Evan? No, Evan does a couple of days out of the week just office support and helping us to coordinate materials and activities for the church. Um, Kevin McGarry. Is Kevin in here today? Kevin McGarry. Kevin wrote the manual on serving long before he ever came on staff, and he continues. I mean, I've, I've talked to one of the folks here at First Assembly, and you know, Kevin spends part of his time blessing this church and coming over here during the week to serve them. And uh, they just don't have a maintenance staff. And, and I happened to meet with one of the leaders of the church the other day, and um, he didn't talk about anybody else but Kevin. He said, what an incredible guy Kevin is and what a blessing he is. Of course, we already knew that. He told him to keep his hands off of him and stuff like that. But, uh, uh, we have also uh, added on about a one-day-a-week uh, person this last several months, Daniel Ford. I don't know if Daniel's in this service or not. Daniel normally is here tomorrow. Daniel is helping us to, to get... Uh, momentum and movement in our Mercy Ministries, doing quite a bit of work with the Operation Replant in Lakeview. Uh, just a wonderfully gifted fellow who has a heart to serve and to reach out to folks as well. And so we've 
Uh, we've needed to have somebody put their hands to the wheels of that and not take it off to do anything else. And so he has stepped up to be a part of that effort as well. Um, let, me, let me qualify a terminology that you'll hear us use a good bit. Um, I will refer to the, to the leadership team. I will refer to the extended leadership team, which would be the folks who extend beyond the pastoral team. Uh, we would differentiate, as we believe the Bible differentiates, a variety of gifts, a variety of ministries, a variety of effects. And God has given us different assignments, different roles to play in the body of Christ. And we would see the, the pastoral team as those who would be gifted in an Ephesians 4, uh, 11 setting of either pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet, uh, apostle, and serving the church through those giftings. And that would be what we refer to as the pastoral team. The exception to that would be Pete Shepherdstein, which we can't figure out what he is. Um, that's not true. We know exactly what Pete is and very grateful for him. Pete would be serving that pastoral team and be part of the team as the administrator for the team. And when we say extended team members, uh, there are just a level of responsibilities and, and and help that we receive from other folks within the church who have walked together for many years, who have a proven walk with God, who have maturity, who have gifting, and bring wisdom into the setting of leadership and bring advice and counsel and oversight uh, to the team. Uh, That would be these three men who are are added to this team, Bill and Steve and Phil. It would also be the covenant group leaders that are in the church as well, what we would do in, in communicating with them over a number of different issues would be just to draw their insights and thoughts into decisions that we're making as a church. You know, many things that, that we do are uh, continuations of decisions that have been made in the past, but then there's, there's new ventures, there's new ministries, new activities that we want to hear input and suggestions and cautions and express any concerns. These are the folks who walk closely with you in a covenant group setting. They, they know uh, what's affecting you. They know the faith level that you're walking with. They know how you're receiving what's being preached and shared and where there is strength and where there's weakness. And so their input is vital to all that we're doing as a church. So if I could ask all the covenant group leaders and their wives, if they would stand just for a moment so you would know what I mean by the extended leadership team, uh, quickly stand. <laughs> Thank you, guys. And then beyond there, there is a range of folks who serve in this church that uh, we've, got, we've got so much to get through today. I, I wish I could take time to highlight how many folks are making significant contributions by sacrificing their time, their abilities to be available to the ministries of the church and to serve in so many different capacities that it, it just takes, whether it's behind the scenes or it's, it's serving right now in children's ministry and care for extended parts of our flock here. So we, we, we are just blessed with many folks who make this a family and make it a church that, that functions well. Um, and in just a moment, you, you should have a couple of handouts in, in your little packet of information there. One of them that you have is a financial report. This will make you familiar with the finances of the church. And uh, you know, just to add a couple more names to the folks who serve the church in in giving us care and and another voice into the decisions that we make uh, would be Steve LaHare, who in just a moment is going to come and walk through this uh, with us. He would serve as the the church treasurer. 
uh, Darlene Batto, who would, would serve on the ground on a monthly basis as our CPA, who uh, balances and looks through all of the transactions of the church. And uh, I mean, just I think it's important just a little bit for you to know somewhat how we, we function together. Uh, all these folks would be involved in decision-making, and particularly putting their eyes and their hands involved in the finances of the church. <clears throat> uh, financial decisions are primarily made by the pastoral team, directions, uh, ministry choices. Um, those decisions where they become new decisions or they have a particular gravity of size in terms of a decision that we're considering would be decisions that we would seek the input and the advice from these other men as well as the extended team of, of covenant group leaders to weigh in just on, on how they feel that decisions being made, whether it's, it's wise at this point to do that, whether those expenses are reasonable. Um, so we'll make those decisions. At the end of every month, Darlene comes in and performs a, a review and, and publishes a financial statement each month of all the money that's come in, all the money that's gone out, and, and gives an account for that. That uh, report is made available to all the pastoral team. It's also made available to Bill and Steve and Phil uh, for their review or input or questions on anything that's on that. So all the finances get seen by quite a number of folks. There's, there's really not a category that is off limits to any of these folks. Uh, there's no category that I handle that's, that's off limits to any of them, uh, that Pete handles that's off limits to any of them. All that gets reviewed every month. Uh, salaries. Salaries in the church for all the pastoral team are set by non-staff members. Uh, locally, the, the three men up here review those salaries every year. Uh, the only advice they get from me and, and usually Peter as well has to do with just performance issues of how we see the team functioning and where we see strengths and weaknesses. Uh, but by way of setting those numbers, they will work from an understanding of, of what churches our size and our finances throughout the country and there's publications that we get that review that material they would be able to look and see where we are comparatively where other pastors and pastoral teams are. Uh, they will make recommendations. Those recommendations are submitted to Brent Detweiler, who gives oversight to all the southeastern region of churches and Sovereign Grace Ministries. Uh, Brent pretty much sets the salaries, and, and the, the team that oversees the churches sets the salaries for the Sovereign Grace churches. And so they will review what's been submitted, come back with other recommendations, and then a final decision is made. But all those decisions are made by Brent and those men. Uh, and given to us, uh, and, and that's how that's kind of how our finances are handled. I just think it's important that you guys have a handle on that, especially right now. We're on the the verge of of collecting and dispensing more money than than we can shake a stick at, and um, and we're going to spend some time going through that. As as Steve comes on up here, uh, let me just give you a quick uh, program. Note for, the, for today, we're going to spend a quick moment going through the church finances. We're going to spend a lengthy time going through the building discussion of where we are and trying to get you as familiar as possible with all that's going into this project, how it's being done, the handout we gave you last week and ask you to be familiar with. We're going to walk through that together. Uh,
please be prepared with, with questions that may not get answered. We're hoping a lot of this material will answer questions that you may have, and, and you may not feel like you need to ask those questions. But if it's not clear, and I completely understand if it's not, I'm not sure how clear this stuff is to me, and I've been staring at it for months. <clears throat> please feel free to ask us. We are here to answer questions and try and get all of us to share in this mission together as clearly as possible. Um, so, Steve, go ahead and come and walk us through the, the finances. Uh, the 2006, that would be this little tan brochure that says 2006 financial report. He will walk us through that. Um, I'll give a moment. If you have some questions on that, I'll, I'll tell you this in advance. There's going to be some numbers on here that relate to the building that are not going to go well with the numbers here. This information is 2006. This information is a piece of 2006 and a piece of 2007. So that's going to make these numbers askew. So I'll save you a question on that one. Uh, but if you, if, you just, if you have questions that are related to the building and those kind of things, we're going to walk through that in just a moment. And if you want to hold on to those questions, we do have a microphone set up. We will ask you to come up and speak in the microphone. The meetings are recorded for us to have a record of uh, our meeting together. And uh, Steve. You are the man. <clears throat> Is there a mic? There should be a mic. Should I just grab this one, Tiger? You're, you're a tall guy, Stephen. Get up there. How's that? Let me get out of your way here. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's see if we can get this done rather quickly and then save a lot of questions for these guys. Uh, most people are familiar with the financial statement that's given out once a year. Does everybody have one? If you don't, raise your hand. They'll get you one. Okay. All right. Um, let's clear up a couple of mistakes on here to begin with. With printing of this report, it didn't come out as accurate as we would have liked. Um, if you go to your general fund number, um, open it up inside, you'll see it's got one comma five oh eight comma five eight and a zero is on the next line. It's actually one million five oh eight five fifty. Okay. Now if you go to your third little part of the page on the right, it did not total correctly. If you go down about four fifths of the page, you'll see those little numbers on the right, twelve, five comma five oh eight. That's actually a total of the the line right to the left of it. It's 125508 So if you have a pencil or pen or whatever you want to correct that at this point. Um, <clears throat> then there were a couple of totals that did not come out, which total at the end of that right page. So if you do have a pen or pencil, um, under the 2070-866, there's a total expenses of $1,076,786. And under that, the total, it would be the total income over expenses of one million three thirty seven oh thirty four. And we'll get to that again, but that's just a couple of things that didn't um, print properly when these were printed. All right, let's go over um we'll go over the expense uh, the income part of this first. Okay, through the general fund on the left, you once again you've got a million five oh eight five eighty and then the insurance proceeds from Katrina of seven fifty five three seventy. For total, for total revenues there um, going into the general fund of 2263950 Then you have the designated fund revenue. And um, you can, you know, take a look at those. And that total was 149870 And if you look on the right side of the page, you'll see the designated fund expenses that will correspond 
to those designated fund uh, revenues. So your total income on that page, $2,413,820. All right, then we go into expenses. And uh, first we've got staff expenses, and you'll see pastors' um, salaries and so forth, and then the staff salaries. <clears throat> in the uh, pastors, and you'll, you'll see they've got it laid out in the um, staff um, in, in their pay is compensation, also the housing allowance, insurance, dental insurance, literature, mileage, conferences. Payroll taxes relate to um, just a lay staff, would be anybody other than a pastor. Okay, then you got church and office building expenses of $91,074. Okay, then office expenses of $76,741. Okay, we'll keep going forward. I'm not going to go through each item. Um, supporting activities, you can um, you know take a look at those, and it's 135,910. For the general fund expenses, the total is 805,920 dollars. And you'll see designated fund expenses, which uh, let's see where we at here. Okay, that little total, which is missions under missions, should be 125,508. And where you, you'll have the total of designated fund expenses at $270,866. With the total expenses totaling, if you want to write this down once again, it's $1,076,786. Okay, and the net of that, which is the total income over expenses, of $1,337,034. Okay? And then we can go to the next page and turn it over. Okay, and we have a beginning fund balance. Now, this is the uh, building fund activity, and it starts out with a negative, which goes back to last year when we bought the um, two-story house next door, paid off the, um, the debt on the houses from down the street. So in that building fund, we actually started out with a negative 387000 <clears throat> And we had income this year of 904520 and then expenses. And Keith's going to go through a lot of this later. Um, but the land acquisition, you know, of the area around the church, site preparation, a tear down of the buildings, the soft costs, which were the architects and engineers, and um, the other costs, which were property taxes, utilities, you had some state development costs for across the street, you know, and so forth. Um, those expenses, one million four fifty-eight seven forty-two. So at this point, you still have a negative nine forty-two one eighty-five, as far as that building fund is concerned. Okay. All right. That's a start. Any any um, questions on this statement? Keith's going to cover a lot of the new stuff. You know, that's going to be going on. And I know he can answer a lot of questions off of this, too. But if you all have any specific questions you know, that relate to these um, expenses, as we, income or expenses, as we were going through them, we'll take those now. It's quiet. Good. Save questions for Keith. Sounds good to me. Thank you, guys. All right, Steve. Thank you so much. I know you take extra time out to look through all those details and get familiar with all that's happening. Thank you for your time and serving us.
All right. Do, uh, Bill, Bill, is, Bill is our secretary and understands meetings better than I do. Do we need to have someone accept the financials? Is that a movement that needs to be made by someone? That would be nice. It would be nice if someone would move to, and what's the terminology here? Move to accept the financials? Someone moved. Jane Earhart moves. All in favor, say aye. All opposed. All right. Well, next, let's walk together. If you'll get out this little handout here of the building project analysis. And let me walk us through something that I, I, I'm going to call these faith building factors that lead us to the point where we are in Sometimes, personally and corporately, we need to do a, a better job of celebrating the grace of God. Uh, it builds into our heart an expectation that grace is sufficient when it comes. And the next time we have a need, and we face a need, God will be sufficient again. If we move on too quickly and we, we don't remember that we prayed and prayed and prayed for things, and then it happened, then we move on, and just like life starts happening, right? Stuff goes on, and it occupies us and keeps us busy with all that. And, and we forget God's been great in the past. God can be great again. So let me, let me just remind us of about a few things that God's done in getting us to where we are. Uh, all of us who have been here for any length of time can remember the challenge to buying land in Lakeview. Just two years ago. As we had a meeting like this, I went through some notes and looked back through some old business meetings. We had a meeting like this. We were discussing how to expand. The church was outgrowing the facility, and we were trying to find property, and we were talking about how much property cost, and, and you know, we couldn't even get one neighbor who was a critical neighbor to even be interested in selling to us, much less nine of them to sell to us. And we ended up, you know, in the last year, uh, a little over a year now, buying, I think, about $1.3 million worth of property that before Katrina, if you could have gotten half of these guys to sell, that would have been a miracle in and of itself. But uh, if we could have gotten them all to sell, it would have cost about $4.5 million to buy that same property. So, I mean, just the favor and grace of God. Schaefer, Michael, stand up for a second because we are indebted to you forever. Thank you. Thank you for serving this church. An incredible amount of time and, and efforts on his part to negotiate and care for these people as well. I mean, he cared for them. These people were in a crisis. This was right after a hurricane, and they were losing things. They didn't know what to do. And so they didn't just get a guy who came in and said, hey, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Uh, he, he cared for these folks, followed up with them, talked with them, and, and he represented us so well. We're grateful to have him on part of the team here. Uh, amazing number. The amount of money that God has sovereignly provided into our midst in the past year and a half is about $3.5 million in a year and a half. It's an amazing amount of money. The fact that we began a, a process that any kind of movement in the neighborhood by us in the past has been opposed. The neighbors did not want us expanding. They showed up at the you know, meeting that we had with the city council a number of years ago to say, hey, no, no. No, we don't, we don't want you guys changing any of the properties in the area. We don't want you tearing anything down. Uh, none of that was met and greeted well. Well, you know, after Katrina, plans that we had submitted to neighborhood associations, uh, they were thrilled and full of enthusiasm to encourage us in the process. Submitted that to the city. At this point, uh, 
we have a green light from the city to go ahead. All the, all the permitting that needed to take place. That we, remember, you remember standing here, you guys who come on, on Sunday mornings and pray together? You remember praying about these issues? You remember standing, realizing the, the lengthy road that was ahead of us to go through the permitting process in the wake of Katrina with all that was going on and all the mess in City Hall to be able to pull that off? Questions and issues that we had concerns about whether they would allow us to be permitted? Well, the city has permitted us. The neighbors have said yes. I mean, God's moved where we have prayed and asked Him to move. And so these, these things help us. Uh, I remember the October right after Katrina, when a man named Jim Wilson, of his own desire, uh, hears about our situation. Jim's a, a project manager who's been building buildings for many years, part of the Sovereign Grace Church in Gaithersburg, has served them as they've built facilities. Uh, hears about our situation. At that point, we're evaluating how to proceed rebuild the building, renovate, what, what do we do with that? Jim uh, decides to hop on a plane, calls his friend who's an architect who just built a Sovereign Grace Church in Knoxville, Tennessee, and says, hey, I'm going to New Orleans to check out what's happening with the church down there. Would you like to come? Th- this guy, he doesn't he have any idea what we're going to do, this architect. He's flying down here to, to meet with a bunch of people. At this point, we're thinking to renovate the building. And, but these two men come in, pay their own way, come down here and spend a couple of days with us and just look at what we have, inspect the structure of the building, help think through how we could proceed, what would be wise, what the building's capable of, what it's not capable of. And so into our lap, God drops Jim Wilson, who uh, has really, I think, kept us sane as we've walked through this process to keep us informed and aware of, of how to build, uh, what not to do, how to go about selecting contractors, what kind of expectation to have in terms of project planning. Uh, Mike Brady is an architect, I think has served us incredibly well. He's been wonderful to work with. He'd be a man that we would recommend in a heartbeat to anybody who's needing to walk through this process. Uh, then when we get to the point of contractor selection, I mean, put out bids, we, uh, we, we, you know, we shared with you, we had a number of bids, a number of folks who said they wanted to bid the job. Um, many of them backed out. Several of them stayed in the process. It was about four of them that stayed in through the process and got to the point where we're, we're going we're gonna to have a preliminary meeting in order to do our bids. Uh, on the day of those meetings, I think we had one or two. Was it two that canceled on us? The day of the meeting. So we have two more drop out the day of the meetings. And so uh, Pete and, and Brian from Jim Wilson's office and I are, are sitting in the office the day we're supposed to have two more meetings that afternoon that have canceled and uh, just kind of hanging out. We get a phone call uh, from a man named Norman Vogel. Norman is a fellow that we had had recommended to us uh, through a relationship Frank has, who's a contractor on the North Shore. And uh, just a week before that, Frank had mentioned him to us, and, and we had, I think Pete had made a phone call to him, had a brief conversation with him. He calls that afternoon as we're just sitting there with nothing else to do uh, since we've had cancellations and uh, says, hey, I'm about to drive back across the causeway. I could swing by and just meet with you guys if you'd like. Sure. (laughs) So Norman drives over and uh, sits down with us and we listen and listen to this man and, and listen to what he's built and what he's done. He gets familiar with our project. We send him all the information that he needs. Uh, they, Brian and the, and the folks from the, our project management team check him out. And, uh, we run some references on him, wonderful references. He puts together a proposal for us, and he ends up being the contractor that we're going with. 
God drops this guy in our lap. Literally didn't even know who he was. One week before, he just happened to call the day that we had a cancellation and come by and introduce himself. So God has just been amazing to, to bring to us all that we've needed to get where we are. Parking. Parking. What would you like me to say about parking? There's a lot to be said. Um, you know, for us to... Katrina presented problems for everybody. The state's having to renovate that facility across the street from us. We've got 25-plus years of history of parking there. Um, but they couldn't, they couldn't tell us what they were going to do with that. And, and what we needed to go to the city was we needed something saying we can use that state parking. Well, you know, if you've ever dealt with the government... Uh, trying to get them to color outside of the lines. I'm trying to get them to color inside the lines is hard enough. <laughs> trying to get them to color outside the lines is next to impossible. Bill made a number of phone calls to folks in Baton Rouge and, 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 they, and people who wanted to help but were in this dilemma of, listen, uh, we're going to tear the buildings down that are there. What we know now is we're putting one building back. But we don't know where it's going on the, on the piece of property and so how many parking spaces, we kind of can't even tell you that right now. Uh, well, Bill talks to him and talks to him and, and, and finally gets them to agree with us. Well, would you sign a letter telling the city that whatever you put there, it is your intention that Lakeview Christian Center will be using its parking, however many spaces there will be? To get the state to say, yes, we'll do that, was a miracle. And they, they sent us a letter saying that, that we could present to the city so that the city would look at our parking and say, you guys are fine. So I mean, just so many ways that God has met us in this. The fact that the church is, is intact the way it is. I mean, we, we've lost folks. I, I, I think we've lost 25 to 30 percent of the church that was here before Katrina has had to move. It's been displaced or it's not here any longer. Uh, but for the church to be intact the way it is, in the midst of taking the biggest step in faith that we're going to take is, is simply an amazing thing that God has done. So God, is, God has brought us to a place now. And, and what we walk through today, yeah, the fact that, uh, that, that we haven't had months where we've said we're, we're not going to be able to meet in this coming month. I mean, you don't realize how many churches have had to do that. How many churches that I've bumped into pastors, especially earlier on, who they were meeting once a month. That's all they could get in a facility to do was once a month. And, you know, from the second or third week of September, we haven't missed a meeting. Amen. And that's the provision of God's grace. And these folks here who have let us use this facility at First Baptist and the folks in Boutique, uh, Victory has let us use their building. Uh, it's been an incredible blessing and provision of God through a, a time where we had no idea how to go about doing that. Mm -hmm. And so... Just too many ways. Uh, I look at the amazing faith and the giving that's in this church. Uh, to give you a little bit of perspective, 2004, the you know before Katrina was even in our vocabulary, the uh, the income of the church was one point, right about 1.17 million dollars. 2005, even with Katrina coming in August and just disrupting our lives for the next few months, the Giving in the church was $1.2 million. 2006, after we've lost about 25% plus of our people, the giving in the church is $1.7 million. Now, these numbers don't make sense, do they? I told you, faith lives right next door to crazy. Some of this stuff is crazy. But yet God has been doing this, 
in an amazing way. When you look in, in the last 12 months from February to today, to, to this past February, and you consider that the people who are part of the church, it's not coming from outside the church, it's not insurance money, the people who are in the church have given, in addition to regular support, over $900,000 in the last 12 months. That's amazing. It's an incredible amount of giving. And so we have already had an, an amazing demonstration of faith and people who are stepping out in faith. And in the past week, um, just to, it's always wonderful to see what God sovereignly does in the church. Last week, you know, last couple of weeks been preaching on faith, um, but God has been doing a work of faith in people's hearts. And I'm just going gonna, gonna to give you a little bit of a rundown of what I've heard in the last week. What I have heard. And this does not reflect what all the... I'm sure the covenant group leaders are all going to go, Oh, you haven't heard this one and you haven't heard that one. But just, just what I've heard in the last week. Uh, I'm going to say this generically because these are just things that folks shared with me. And, and I'm, I don't think that they were necessarily looking to publish their uh, elements of their life. But I had a person walk up and, and share with me a decision to delay retiring. Because of the season of the church. A person who's been working many, many years in their life and had been contemplating for quite some time retiring. And uh, actually it informed their boss that they were going to retire and felt the Lord impressed on them. It's not the season for you to do that because of the season of the church. And as a confirmation, uh, went in and sometime after going back to the boss and saying, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pursue retirement just yet. Um, the Lord blessing them with a particular job that, that they get commissioned for uh, that equaled, if I understood correctly, an entire the previous entire year's worth of income to the business was done in one deal that was shortly blessed to this person just after saying, I'm staying um, for a while longer, however long the Lord, I guess, has that person to do that. Uh, a person who I, I'd heard this past week, who is intentionally adjusting their career to move into a different position in order to adjust the pay scale of their job so that they can give more to the project. Um, uh, individual family members that have just felt led, who have, who have given extraordinary amounts already, but just all of a sudden God has just awakened in them before we even announced that we were going to do further offerings. Uh, they just felt confirmed that they needed to step out in faith and just give in advance of that and beginning to give further offerings, which we're going to talk about today. Had someone share with me that the Lord's just leading them to, to adjust their 401K and their IRA payments. You know, they, they make those payments in order to invest for a future retirement. The Lord's showing them to, to change that for this season. Uh, just ran into somebody in, this, in the story yesterday who, first thing out of their mouth, and these, these, are, these are folks who just give incredibly faithfully, uh, first thing out of their mouth was, man, I got, I'm getting a bonus at work. Man, isn't that timely so I can give to the building? Now, I mean, this, this just affects me, you know, knowing the love that people have for the kingdom of God, that as God touches their life and rewards the fruit of their labor, that their passion is, how can I do more? How can I, how can I give more? And these are folks who have given an incredible amount already. So, as I share a little bit today and we walk through this, there is a, there's a step of faith for us in this, but some of you guys are just putting on an amazing clinic in what it is to walk by faith and trusting God 
in the midst of this season. And thank you so very much for inspiring us to do likewise. If you open up your, whatever this thing is, project analysis page, the first section is project expenses. Do this as we walk through it. I'm going to walk through the whole document, and then I'm going to let you guys ask questions. So if you have a question, write it down, and you can come up and ask that in just a few moments. Uh, the first section there says current investments in the building project. This is the amount of money in actual cash and land value that the church has already put into this project. And this is an estimate on the land value side, but about $2 million in, uh, in land value, architect design and project management costs already spent, 407000 You see permitting fees there, site clearing and preparation costs. Total current investment of about $2.5 million. That's already spent. That's not money that we have to spend or save toward. That's already been spent. Current contractor bid price is $7.3 million. Now, each one of these categories, we've kind of installed what, what is there called a possible bid price variable. And each one of these categories of cost has a variable in it that we're trying to see if we can squeeze it a little bit and get, some, get those costs down a little bit in those categories. And one of the things that you normally do with a contractor is uh, they submit their bid. And along the way, they look at your job and they say, you know, if you do this this way instead of doing it this way, you could do the same thing but for less. Or if you build this this way instead of the way you have it designed, you can actually save some money here. Um, so what we're doing right now, that's called value engineering. We're in the process of doing that with Norman Vocal and all of his subcontractors who have bid on the job. Uh, we are anticipating some kind of a range of two to $300,000 that we can save out of that $7.3 million figure by adjusting some things that we're doing. And there's a little paragraph there that explains, uh, you know, the construction costs are involved in that, tweaking materials, design adjustments, etc. Current contingency funds, uh, the bank or any lender sets a parameter that they require for you to have on the side. Uh, basically, if, the, if something comes up in the project, the project goes bad for some reason in a category that nobody foresaw, they want to have money on the side that they can say that's what's going to pay for that. Uh, normally, contingency money is not 10%. That's a, that's a pretty high number. That's what Chase had given to us. We're in the process of trying to ask them to rethink that. Um, 5% is, is more of a normal category of number for that. Now, whether their experience, and we're running into this a lot and talking to lenders, churches are kind of a different animal to lend to than commercial and personal. So I think sometimes they try to create some safety zone for them to operate in. And so I think that's a little bit about what's happening here, but we're, we're trying to, to narrow that number down a little bit to less than the $838,000 that they've set before us, and, and we're hoping that that can be adjusted. I will say this, that number, if that's not an adjustable number, it's, it's going to present a little extra challenge to what I'm going to tell you today in terms of how much we need to raise here on the front end. If that number can't be adjusted, then we may have a little bit more of a challenge in front of us than we uh, would like because that number obviously is a large one between three and $500,000 adjustment there. Remaining soft costs, about 486000 That is still remaining costs for architecture and engineering fees, geotechnical work, surveying, audiovisual consulting, permitting fees, and project management fees. Current owner furnished items. These are things that are not in the contractor's bid, but they are items that we will be purchasing ourselves. We pulled some things out of the job because we thought we could provide for it less. 
than what the contractor could provide. So whatever we found to be cheapest for us to do on our own, we did. It includes, um, let's see, audiovisual equipment, chairs, classroom and office furnishings and equipment, kitchen equipment, uh, the quality level of flooring. All those things, you know, you, you, have, you have flooring of one grade and you can downgrade that to another level and you can uh, adjust the, the type of flooring that you're putting in different locations. And uh, we're in the process of evaluating those numbers right now. We're estimating the number that we can adjust will be somewhere between $200,000 $250,000 as well. So current remaining total cost, when you add up all those, you, you come up with $9.3 million. And then there's a possibility of adjusting that $9.3 million down by somewhere between $700,000 and $1.1 million. So that's what that variable means. Now, what do we have by way of funding going into this moment? Well, the current anticipated bank loan amount is about $4.5 million to about $5 million. Uh, Chase has actually given us the, the best deal so far. We have talked to other local uh, banks. We, have, we are in the process of evaluating a bonding company to see if bonding would be an option that would be more attractive. What tends to be driving their numbers, all these folks, is not so much the, you know, when you go to get a, a house loan, there's two things. There's your income and then there's that 80-20 dynamic. You know, are you, how much of this thing are you going to own versus how much is the bank going to own? Well, the good thing about us, which is unusual for many churches, is we're going to own a big piece of this thing. And the going into this, uh, we're going to have a lot of money in the project. It's not going to be that we're going to own 10% and the bank's going to own 90 uh, But what they're using to evaluate us is our past income and the amount of money that we have committed from the church to the project. And I'll come back to that a little bit later by way of the pledge cards and why that is important because the number that they're putting a ceiling on us by way of how much you can borrow is based on how much money does the church give, which is completely understandable. Obviously, for them, you have to be able to pay this thing back every month. Well, what kind of money comes into your church every month? If, for instance, uh, someone gave us a huge donation, you know, $2 million, and we put that into the project, but the church, uh, the church was only giving a small amount every month, well, while that $2 million might sound great, the bank's going to look at that and say, as soon as you spend that on this project, you can't pay the note month to month. So that's where they're looking at, the monthly finances of the church, and that's why it becomes important for us in terms of how we give on a monthly basis as well. So those are kind of the loan parameters. Uh, there's still some flexibility in there, not much. I think $5 million has only been spoken to us uh, by Chase. Nobody else has come close to that number. They've been more $4.5 million in their ceiling. Uh, the bonding company hasn't made clear, but their numbers are sounding more like $4.5 million as well. Current cash on hand is about $2.1 million. Remaining outstanding one-time pledges from August, the, the pledges we did in August, there's about $28,000 still outstanding from those that we are anticipating receiving. And then anticipated monthly pledges, and this is just based on the history of what we've been receiving on a monthly basis from those who have pledged to give each month. Uh, it comes from that figure in the paragraph there. Uh, the next 18 months at about $16,000 per month which is the average monthly pledge amount that we've been receiving from August to February. The actual amount pledged per month has been varying. Some folks gave for a certain length of time, and some folks gave for uh, the whole six months. Some folks gave for only three months. Uh, but somewhere around $23,000 was pledged monthly, and about 16 of that is being received monthly. 
So using those figures, we would anticipate over the next 18 months, if folks stay with their pledges for that long, we would anticipate about $288,000 coming from that accumulation. And then the anticipated general fund overage, and this is the amount that represents monthly income that's just given to the general fund that exceeds our monthly expenses. And so we take that money and we set it aside and we use that and we've been doing that for the purpose of the building. Uh, based on the numbers that reflect what, what those numbers about have been for us historically, uh, for the next 18 months, that would, that would generate another $450,000. Current available and anticipated funding is about $7.8 million. Possible amount of variable funding increase is a question mark. Uh, the only possibility in that is if the bank were to give us more than what they have, have showed so far. So when you add all these numbers up in terms of expenses and funding, um, current project status is we're about $1.5 million short of needed funding. This amount can be made up by a combination of the variables that are listed above and the offerings of the church explained below. The optimum variable scenario, cost reduction variable that we showed you earlier is somewhere between $700,000 and $1.1 million. Loan amount variable, that may not change at all. It hasn't so far. Offering amount needed is going to be somewhere between $800,000 and $400,000. So that's, that's what we need to close this gap on this project in order to make it happen. After we've squeezed everything else, every other category has been squeezed, and then this is what we need by way of the church to come up with the, the money to close that gap. Now, let me. this next little section here is just intended to get you familiar with the reality of what does it mean for a church to give. Sometimes you put a bunch of people in one room, and now we have two rooms, and so we don't even see a portion of the church here. And we just can generate this idea that there's, there's an unlimited amount of people here, and there's an unlimited amount of money present. Now, there's, there's sovereignly designed walls here. We have a certain number of folks in the church at this point, and those folks have a certain amount of money in each of our lives that are available for us to give. And so this little section here is just trying to help you get a handle on who are we in the financial realm. Lakeview is made up of approximately 600 to 750 attendees, uh, usually about a third of whom are absent in a weekly main service, leaving an average of 450 to 500 who are here every week. So, you know, just like all you guys know, you get somebody sick, you had, you're out of town, um, whatever reason, some of the folks aren't here this morning that normally would be here. Uh, this number includes children, teens, and some who are visiting or just getting involved in the life of the church. And, and uh, we share that from the standpoint of that would be a category, you know, you don't expect teens to be able to give a whole lot. Children don't give. And folks who are just getting involved in the church, you wouldn't expect that they own the vision in such a way that they're, they're ready to commit significant amounts of funding toward it. Based on attendance numbers, we estimate that there are approximately 350 giving units. This would either be singles or family households. So when we use the term giving unit, um, a husband and a wife would be one giving unit. A husband and wife of the family would be one giving unit. Uh, a single would be another giving unit. So that's kind of how that term is being used in this paper. We estimate 350 who attend Lakeview. Based on existing giving records, we estimate that 295 of these have made some kind of contribution to the church in the past 12 months. So not everybody who's a giving unit who could give, who's part of the church, does give. Tithing, we would estimate that approximately 170 giving units give a tithe. So not everybody who is a part of the church tithes. About, this is about how many that do. 
of those 170, we estimate that approximately 117 are giving units that tithe at a level that reflects the average annual income or more for a resident who lives in Metairie. So in other words, if uh, you give X amount of dollars that reflects X amount of income from a tithe standpoint, the average income in Metairie is about $42,000. So we would estimate that 117 are giving like they make more than than $42,000 in a year. Offerings, the number of LCC attendees who have given to the building fund over the past 12 months is 226. And they've given over $900,000, which is just staggering. 67 of these contributors have, have fallen in the category of 0 to $500. 73 uh, have given between 500 and 2,000. And 86 have given more than 2,000. Total number of monthly pledge cards turned in is 141. Over the past seven months, we've received 70%. Actually, I think that's a little higher. I think we're closer to 80% of the amount pledged for each month. So that just kind of gives you an idea about who we are, what it means for us to take $1.5 million and set it in front of us. We're not setting it in front of a mystery unit here. This is in front of us. This is in front of those of us who are the givers and the part of the church that supports and makes ministry happen here. Monthly cost factors once the building is completed. And we have two things in front of us that we'll talk about today. Getting the building built and then paying to be in it. And especially in the first two to three years where we're building a building that's, that we're not going to maximize it. It's a building that's being built larger than we are intentionally in order for it to sustain growth over the next many years. So for the first two or three years before the church grows into the building... We're going, to have, we're going to be wearing clothes that are too big for us. And we just need to be prepared for that. We need to prepare individually and financially to say, okay, what's it going to take for us to shoulder the weight of that for the first two or three years after the building is done so that as the church grows, then that weight can be shifted to all the other folks that God will add, and we trust that he will. Of new building monthly expenses, we estimate are probably going to be between $50,000 and $54,000 monthly. And that will include the loan payments, Insurance premiums, which are out of this world. You just simply could not imagine. Please don't stone Bob at the end of this meeting. Even though he's part of the insurance industry, we love him dearly. Uh, But the entire insurance, commercial insurance, uh, reinsuring for flood beyond. It used to be that all you had to do was just get flood insurance through FEMA and you were covered. Well, now the bank is telling us, uh, we're not going to be interested in the little bit of money that FEMA offers you. You, know, FEMA, you max out a FEMA policy at $500,000. When you build a $9 million building, uh, they're not interested in $500,000 worth of flood coverage. So that means we have to purchase additional flood coverage beyond that. So these, these costs are, are huge. Uh, they are part of that fifty dollars to $54,000. And then there's additional maintenance costs. Just the building's much bigger to maintain it and service it and... Uh, heat and cool it and all that kind of stuff as well will be additional cost. Servicing this monthly amount would come from two needed categories, This is especially in this first two to three years, which would need to be sustained for the first few years as the church grew financially. One, monthly pledges. We're going to need to ask folks to give on a monthly basis over and above normal giving just to pay for the new expenses of the building. Uh, we're anticipating about $25,000 each month having to come in once we finish the building above our tithes. Uh, the tithes, the second category there is, is number two, 
tithes to the general fund would need to exceed the operating budget by $25,000 per month. So we would take operating money and special offering money, those two $25,000 each, and put those together to meet the $50,000 need. Uh, for operating each month to, to generate an extra $25,000, and I've put a little paragraph there, over the past seven months we have done that four out of the seven months. The average monthly deficit during that time was $4,100. So over the last seven months, we've, we've uh, received $21,000 more than what we spend. That 21000 can be used to pay for the building. Uh, the only difficulty is we need not 21000 We need 25000 plus we need the $25,000 extra commitment from folks to carry us through that for the first few years. Miscellaneous issues and questions, and then I'm going to take some questions from you guys. Um, I'm going to share with you an idea about how it is that we can come up with this money together. Pledge cards. Why is it important to fill out a pledge card? One, one of the factors that the bank wants to know is how much support there is in the congregation for the building project. They estimate that by the number of pledge cards versus the number of attendees and the amount of the pledges versus the amount of the project. So they need to get a handle on, on how committed the church is to this. Two, the church leadership is helped in planning by understanding the level of support that can be anticipated in the future based on what the members of the church have faith to give and can afford to give. Uh, giving consistency. Uh, it's very important for all of us to realize we're in a very critical time to give consistently, to give to not have months where we, we take off in our giving, we take a break in our giving. One of the factors that has become a concern over the past six months is monthly fluctuations in giving. While building fund giving has increased greatly in the past six months, general fund giving, which reflects our ties, has decreased by an average of almost $10,000 a month um, in comparison to the previous six months in 2006. That is a concern for two reasons. One, if we are practicing the biblical teaching of tithing, our monthly giving should only change if our monthly income changes, and not because we may feel like giving less from one month to the next. And second, the bank is going to look at the consistency of our monthly giving, and if they notice a diminishing trend, they will reconsider the amount of money they feel we would be able to pay back on a monthly basis. So when they look at January and February, which were not good months, if they look at March, and March looks like January and February, they're going to go from, okay, look like for a while you guys could pay back a $5 million loan, but, but it looks like your income's doing this. So we're only going to be comfortable giving you $4.5 million. It's going to create a problem that we don't really want to have right now. That would be an extra expense that we would have real challenge coming up with. I know some folks may have a question about borrowing money and about debt as a principle. Um, in the little outline, it says, we would not hold a position that the Scripture prohibits debt. That we, What we feel the Scriptures discourage is being irresponsible in repaying debt and in creating a situation where debt controls you. So we want to avoid that, and we would encourage individuals to avoid that as well. Stewardship is also present in this area, and we are seeking to be wise in going about managing the finances for the kingdom. Annual construction cost increases have ranged from 10 to 20% over the past few years. So then watch how this plays out. This, this, will, this will put heat under us to get moving. The Gainesville Church, our, our church, Sovereign Grace Church in Gainesville, that's had a, faced a two-year delay because of some building issues with uh, permitting. In those past two years, the cost went up for the same building. They're building the same building they had planned to build two years ago. 
from $95 a square foot to $131 a square foot. So almost 19% increase in their cost annually. If on our project, just a 10% construction cost increase would mean this time next year, the building would cost $760,000 more than it costs right now. If it went up 15%, it would cost $1.1 million more than it costs. We wouldn't get any more building. We just would be paying more to build the very same building. Uh, by way of contrasting that with debt, because your, your choice here is save and save and save and save and build. Well, as you can see, we couldn't save at this rate. The most incredible year we've ever had in terms of giving to a building was last year was $900,000. Well, we'd only increase by $140,000 over the sheer increase of the building cost with the cheapest construction cost increase. So it, it, it serves us to build as quickly as possible. We could have started last week. It would have been the best thing for us to do. Um, by way of contrasting cost, you have construction costs, you have debt costs. To borrow money, it, it, takes money, it costs money to borrow money. And some folks just have a feeling like, well, that's just throwing money away. I hope you can see in this you're going to throw more money away if you don't borrow money and build and try to save. Uh, actually, I think you create a scenario you can never get out of. Uh, on our project loan, we would estimate uh, about $385,000 in the first year on interest. As you can see, that's, that's half of what it would cost just to face the escalating building cost from year to year. Uh, the building size, I know there's been some questions about building size. Here's, here's just some thought and thinking that through. Current attendance is about 500 on an average weekend. We're actually a little bit less than that, but sometimes we're a little bit more than that. Factors we would want to take into account in our planning thoughts based on attendance. We anticipate that consistency in attendance will increase when we're all together in one place. Being scattered the way we are right now I think has an effect on us. We also anticipate that consistency in attendance will increase the farther we get away from the Katrina factor. I mean, everybody just has been weirded out by living in a world that's so funky. Attendance the Sunday before Katrina was 650. So we've, you know, we've lost folks, and we've, we're kind of regrouping from that, that moment. Previous growth rate over the last several years was about 10 to 15% annually. At that rate, we would, we would go from 500 to nearly 750 in about three years. Um, can I put some slides up here? Let me just show you, uh, make a couple of comments real quick about the building because that 750 number is, is meaningful for us. One of the things you'll notice that we've changed on the building, it's hard to see in the, in the darkness here, but this facade right here is different now than this section of the building. This is actually a hardy board facade. It'll look like siding. Uh, it's significantly cheaper than the brick. The brick at one point was intended to, to wrap the building all the way to the sides of the building to where everything that was visible from the front would be brick. But one of the cost-cutting factors that we've looked into was could we reduce some of the cost on the building by reducing some of the exterior elements of it. And so we did that by putting that. So that's why that looks different. This material actually will be the material that goes all the way around the back of the building, which is a savings for brick. Can you put a floor plan up there? This is the, the job that was bid by uh, the folks that bid this job. This little square right here uh, represents an addendum. What we did to, to give us some flexibility in pursuing this building was this larger, this is the auditorium. This auditorium and the rest of the building add up to, to 41,000 square feet. That's the total square footage of the entire building. 
What we did by way of bidding the building is we bid this section right here as though if you were to remove this much of the auditorium, so you just take this wall and push it in, it just makes this thing more of a little box about this size rather than the size that it is. So you've reduced 3,000 square feet out of the auditorium. We had them bid that so that if we ran into some cost issues, we'd have some alternatives to, to building the building. Um, this building, 41,000 square feet, seats about 1,100 people in this, set, in this area. If you take this out, it ends up seating about 750 people in it. That's why that 750 number is significant. Uh, one of the things that we would like to do in terms of building is not find ourselves hitting our ceiling too quickly. Uh, we built a building that will hold 750 people. At our growth rate, historically, we would, we would fill that building up in three years. That's not counting anybody who would come just because they're curious that you built a building or people who just decide to come back to the church. I mean, and building buildings does weird things to some people. It makes them attend. When we built the other building, we put a new face on it. People started coming just because they were curious. And so that happens, and that's not even figured into this. So that, that would be a, a growth issue we want to try and get ahead of. Uh, one of the reasons for us to aim at building the larger building also is our future ministry plans include regional church planning. Uh, we would like to, to create a building that's going to serve not just us, but any churches we would plant out of here. That would, that would perhaps be possible North Shore or Baton Rouge or Southeast Louisiana churches or even Mississippi Gulf Coast area churches, that whenever we did some form of a conference or wanted to bring those churches together, we'd have a big enough facility that we could actually bring those folks from the other churches. That would be small church plant churches. It wouldn't be enormous churches by any means. But we'd have a facility that would enable us to do that. If we build the 750-seat uh, one, that, that will be a challenge for us to do that in a way that's different than this larger building. Uh, 41,000 square feet. Uh, this overall amount of square footage is driven by the size of the auditorium. Once you say this is how many seats go in this room, your bathrooms have to be a certain size, the number of classrooms have to be a certain size, your hallways have to be a certain size. So everything gets driven by that number. So construction-wise, that's why the building gets as big as it is. Um, comparatively, I put a little paragraph there, other Sovereign Grace churches we've studied who have built new facilities with similar attendance numbers to ours include the Knoxville Church, who was about our size. They were about our size with a lot more children. All the Sovereign Grace churches tend to have a lot more children population in them. So when their figures say 500 people, it's, it's, it's a lot of kids. And so we, I don't know, for some reason we're just different than some of their numbers are. Uh, we have a lot more adults than they have, have children. And I'm, I'm trying to do everything I can to, to change that personally. Some of you guys are obviously slackers. Um, the Knoxville Church, about our size, the building that they built was 51,000 square feet. You know, anticipating growth, anticipating stepping into something that would be useful for a number of years. Uh, Danny's Church in Orlando, when they built, they were about our size. Uh, they built a 53,000-square-foot building. Um, the Richmond Church that I visited uh, last year, uh, they're about our size as well. They built a 35,000-square-foot building. So you can kind of see the 41,000-square-foot building kind of puts us in a comfortable range by way of others who have tried to take a similar step to where we are. Um, all right, all that information is, is given to you guys just so that you're familiar with all the factors that are involved in how we've come to where we are, why we're thinking the way we are, what we're aiming at. Um, I know you guys are going to get tired of hearing me talk. Can I, can I set one more thing in front of you, and then I'll 
we'll take some time for some questions. Uh, how do we go about stepping forward right now? We have, we have, a, we have a sizable issue concerning finances, and it's going to require us to take a step of faith. And, you know, if we've talked about faith, there's, the question is, everyone needs to consider, what am I doing that's a step of faith for me? It's my individual household. What am I doing to take a step of faith that's going to allow the whole body to take its step of faith when we move together? And we all need to consider that. And the, and the, and the issue of faith is an issue of, of us trying to lead and discern what has God given you faith for? And that's a very important issue. Um, it's an issue that we try to, to take temperature from the covenant group leaders. Uh, it's an issue, I think, to have a responsibility as a shepherd. Is, you know, this is not a position, uh, and, and you guys aren't buttons on a machine. You're people. You're people following God. You're people, some of you have been following God for 20 and 30 years. Some of you have been following God for 20 or 30 weeks. You're not all in the same place. But we're all called to take this step together. And to lead that with care, shepherds need to know what kind of faith is here. Uh, will we take a step and run off and leave people? Will we take too small a step and not encourage people to really be walking in faith? And so there's a, a balance and a tension here. Um, you know, there's, there's a place in Scripture in Exodus 13 where God is, is leading his people. And he's taking them out of Egypt. And it's a point in history in their lives where they're departing Egypt on their way to the promised land. There's two ways to get to the promised land. There's the short way and there's the long way. The problem with the short way is you're going to have to face war right away. Listen to what God says. I think this is just very caring. Exodus 13, verse 17 says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. See, God knew the condition of his people. He said, you know, if we go this way, their faith is going to evaporate. We go this way. But however, remember, the way that they went involved challenges, didn't it? This way means fight war. This means starve to death. I mean, so you, you had some issues here on either way. Following God isn't an easy path. It's a path that takes faith. And one of the things that we're seeking to discern is, and this is going to be revealed by how we respond in this offering, is what kind of faith do we have? What kind of faith is present in us right now that we're called to lead us into the next step? Do we have faith to build 41,000 square feet? Or do we not have faith to build 41,000 square feet? Well, that's what we need to discover. And what, what we don't want to do as leaders is we don't want to assume and just make a decision one way or the other. Uh, either one has problems with it. To, to make a decision to build a smaller building is to make a decision for us to figure out how to walk in faith way down the road when, when we can't do all the ministry dynamics that we want to do. And adding more space to the building at that point is an issue of permitting, neighborhood, uh, and cost. So there's factors involved in deciding, well, let's do something smaller now. There, there is a, a timeliness right now to doing something bigger that, that doesn't seemingly going to exist later on that we have right now in our favor. And there, there's an element that uh, what is it that God has put in our heart to build? 
You know, Bill read a scripture a little while ago from Exodus. Here's a real similar passage in 1 Chronicles 29. And this has to do with offering. Um, In just a moment, I'm going to explain to you how every one of us needs to consider stepping up in terms of what it is that we have faith to give in the next 12 months and immediately and then in the next 12 months. And, you know, Bill, the passage he read earlier reflects a heart that was eager to give, a heart that was moved to give. And that's what we want to be. We want to be a people who are standing here today saying, we have a vision for what God wants this church to accomplish in the future. That's in my heart. And I want to step forward. And, you know, and I appreciate some of the, the cheerleaders that have been here saying, man, look, don't build a smaller building. Don't do it. Appreciate the, the, the faith and the cheerleading of that. We all need to have some faith in this, though, every one of us. And it needs to kind of sound like this. In First Chronicles 29, an offering is being taken. David said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. The work is still great today. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, David speaking personally, and I think we all need to do this, the gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver, bronze for the things of bronze, iron, wood, great quantities of onyx and stones, etc. Verse 3, moreover, in addition to all that, right? it sounds as though there were two offerings. <laughs> he took one offering, he gave all that he had in these categories. He says, moreover, in addition to all that, I have provided for the holy house. I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. Now, every one of us has David-like categories in our life. We, have, we see the need, we respond immediately without touching the treasure of our own. Now, I'm pretty sure all of us have probably done that already. You know, we've set this before us. Guys, we have to move toward this mark. Let's give, and we have figured out how we can give But have we touched the treasure of our own? David's out of his devotion and delight in the house of God, says, you know, nothing's off limits here. I have this little money set on the side. I I have this account over here, uh, but I'm going to use that as well to help this happen. And I, I think as we think creatively, we ask the Lord, Lord, how can we do this? Well, let me put some numbers in front of you in terms of, of what does this look like? Because I know many of you have asked, please help us get our minds around, what does this mean for me? How can I do this? And what kind of cost is there involved for me? Well, everyone should have received a commitment card. You've seen these before. Uh, this is a similar version of what we've done before. Um, in this room are people with different abilities, in many categories, but financially, different abilities. So, so what I'm going to set before us is intended to be heard individually for where you are. Not everybody has the same ability. Right? If we were to say, let's move all these chairs out of this room, some of you guys could stack ten of them up and carry them all out. Some could take one at a time. Everybody helps. Same thing is true in our finances. Not everybody can shoulder the weight of this building exactly the same way. But listen, everybody can do something. Everyone can. And not only that, if we're going to be the people of God who follow God by faith, everybody should be doing something that requires faith to do it. 
Let's not just say, hey, you know, some of you people really, you know, y'all give, man, and you know, I'm not going to touch my treasure, and I'm not going to make my life uncomfortable, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give a little bit. I'm just going to ask you this question. Is it taking faith for you to do that? This is a step of faith. Is it a step of faith for you individually? Whatever you've been giving, whatever you've ever thought about giving, does it take faith for you to write that check and trust God in your life as you give it? Well, every one of us needs to be considering doing that, but everybody's different, okay? Don't, don't everybody hear that they have to do the same thing? In different places, people have been in careers for 20 years, people who are just starting their jobs. Different places and different weight here. What you have there in front of you is a commitment that says, one, a monthly tithe. Again, we're not here to sacrifice the giving to God for the giving to a building. We give to God because he is worthy of, of our response to his provision in our life with our tithe. Please don't manage your church and kingdom finances by robbing God. Remember, this: you don't rob God if you don't give in the building, unless he's told you to give and you said no. But you do rob God if you don't tithe. The Bible says that. So we're not saying rob God so you can build a building. Don't do that. Give your tithe and then figure out how to give something besides that. Uh, the next, the categories of a one-time gift and how much, how much of a one-time gift could you give right now? And there's a space to be given on or by. Uh, we would estimate that within 30 days approximately, we would like to be sitting down with the bank and signing the papers to tell the contractor to go. So we're going to give you a 30-day window to say what can you do one time in the next 30 days to help us take a big jump in this $1.5 million range that, that we have about 800000 or so of that. A monthly pledge. For some folks, they can, I can do this right now, but my income is month to month. I just don't have a big chunk sitting around somewhere. Um, so I'm going to pledge to do this on a monthly basis. Many of you are already doing that. If you would, please just renew that when you fill this out so that we know this is, this is an updated version of where you have been previous. Uh, some of you can't do 12 months. Uh, can I encourage you in this? It's going to take faith. If you think you can do a few months, you're going to have to take a step of faith to figure out how to do more. I mean, it's just it's a step of faith. And so I know sometimes it's, well, I think I could do three months. Well, ask God how much faith he can give you and how many more months you think he can lead you to do. And obviously respond with what he gives you. And can I break this thing down into some manageable pieces here so we can get our, our mind around it? Uh, as we've discussed the building, there's an immediate cost that we're about to face. Uh, and it is, it is the foundation of the building. The found, just the foundation for this building, pilings and slab, will cost about $750,000. What a great thing for us. Because this is really what this group of people are doing, are laying the foundations for the future. As we shared last week. People that you and I don't even know. Some of us will be dead. And there will be people using this building, coming to Christ, having their lives changed, getting married, being strengthened, walking out of sin, freedom and deliverance. Those things are going to be happening when you and I are gone. But the foundations were laid by this group right here who said, you know what, we're going to figure out how to lay the foundations for the future. So we love the thought of let's lay the foundations. Let's raise $750,000 together. And as quickly as we can possibly do it. That's our goal. And let's pay for that. And let's, 
I'm going to give you a couple of suggestions on how you can do that. And then if, if this is confusing, we'll try and put together a little handout for you next time. $750,000. Here's a couple of ways to think about it. If 225 giving units, and that's about how many have been giving to the building fund on some kind of a basis, if everybody got underneath that and you divided it up equally, which we understand we can't do, but if you divided it up equally, it would be $1,667 per giving unit would raise $750,000. One thousand.